Okay, once again, uh, good evening, everyone. I'll call the regular town council meeting uh, to order February 14th at 5.02 p.m. So we have the agenda in front of us. Are there any additions or deletions, Mr. Parker? Thank you very much, Your Worship. Uh, we do have one deletion. It's under section 14, item three, division two, exception to disclosure, advice from officials. Thank and you. No, no additions. Okay, thank you. Would someone like to move the acceptance of the agenda as amended? Uh, Councillor Ford? Would everyone be in favor of that motion? And not in favor? Okay, it is carried. Okay, we have the minutes of the January 24th. Uh, 2022 regular council meeting in front of us. Uh, you've had a chance to review. Are there any um, things of note that you would suggest edits or changes? Okay, if not, would someone care to move the acceptance of the January 24th regular council meeting agenda? Uh, Deputy Mayor Scammerhorn, thank you. All those in favor? Opposed? It is carried, thank you. Are there any public hearings? There, there are none, Your Worship. Great, well, I shouldn't say great, but thank you. Anyways, we're now <laughs> on to presentations. So our first presentation is from uh, uh, Councillor John Middleton Hope, the proposed Alberta Police Force. And uh, uh, Mr. Middleton Hope, uh, you're on and you've got about 20 or so minutes with a few questions then. Well, thank you, Your Worship. Um, everybody can hear me? Just give me a thumbs up. There we go. Um, so I had an opportunity to speak with Chris at, a, um, at length, I guess, uh, probably about a month ago, Chris. Um, and he had some questions. Uh, uh, I guess he had some questions in regards to what did policing look like for uh, the municipality of Peace River and the region going forward. And there's some certainly some challenges that, uh, that your community, along with many of the other communities that are currently serviced by the RCMP, either are experiencing or are going to continue to experience. Um, have any of you, and just a sh quick show of hands, um, listened in on the National Police Forces presentation? I think we've listened to a variety of things. Okay, um, so very recently, a couple of members from the uh, National Police Force, um, uh, which, is, which is the uh, the association representing the police union, uh, have been doing sort of a, uh, a dog and pony show around the province. And they've been trying to um, uh, inform, I think, is the, is the goal. They're trying to inform um, councils, citizens of what, the proposed move to Alberta Provincial Police Service might look like and what kind of an impact that would have on policing across the province. Um, it was, uh, I spent uh, the better part of a couple of hours online with them and spent uh, um, a protracted period of time asking questions in regards to what kind of model did they foresee. Um, for those of you that are unaware, uh, Lethbridge, a city of uh, about 135,000 people in the south end of the province, uh, has a municipal police service. Um, we are one of three CMAs in the province uh, or um, uh, municipal areas, so our population in the county is, 
is uh, attributed to that population. The city itself is about 103,000. And then we've got another uh, 8,000 students that come in from outside. And then there's the county itself. So our population is about 135 and the general uh, trading area is about uh, close to 300,000. So um, we have interaction with municipal police services. We have interaction with RCMP. We have interaction with sheriffs and so forth. Um, for those of you that, uh, that may not be aware, um, first of all, I was a chief of police. I spent 30 years in policing in Calgary and Lethbridge, and before that, Montreal. Um, I'm also on the police commission here in Lethbridge. And so this is of, certainly of some interest to me uh, as we move forward. Um, a number of years ago, the uh, then Solicitor General, uh, Harvey Sinenko, and the Assistant Deputy Minister, Brian Skeet, who were both former members of the Calgary Police Service, proposed a transition to a sheriff's department across the province that would be responsible for and take over many of the duties that the RCMP at that point were, um, uh, were managing. Uh, they envisioned a model where the, uh, the sheriff's department would actually be providing um, municipal policing services um, in a variety of different municipalities across the province. Uh, as those municipalities decided to transition away from utilizing the RCMP as an, either a municipal service, regional service, or a provincial police service. Um, it didn't get a ton of, uh, a ton of traction, and uh, Mr. Sonenko Mr. Uh, resigned from the, uh, uh, from the legislature and went on to become a member of the parole board. But the sort of the inception of the sheriff's department and the growth of the sheriff's department started uh, in about 2006 and we've seen it expand dramatically. There are now over a thousand members of the sheriff's department across the province providing services, everything from uh, traffic enforcement to corrections to prisoner transports and so forth. Um, the provincial policing model, as it has been proposed, would leverage many of the resources that currently exist within the sheriffs, so detachments, uh, equipment, personnel, and so forth. And this was one of the areas that, uh, in particular, uh, Kevin Halwan and Jeff McGovern, McGowan, rather, uh, from the, uh, the police union, the new police union of the RCMP, were most concerned about and, and identified this tiered policing that uh, you may have uh, you may have heard about over the course of the last few years. And this tiered level of policing is in fact uh, trying to right size uh, our police officers and, and, and trying to provide an adequate level of training for them. Um, what their suggestion was is that uh, we are creating a two-tiered policing model in which uh, many of the members that would be coming over from uh, the sheriff's department to a provincial police service uh, would not be trained to the level that members of the RCMP uh, are currently trained. And that, that's actually correct. Um, however, be that as it may, uh, there are um, many issues that would have to be looked at to determine whether or not a, a provincial police service would be effective in many of the rural areas and even some of the, the mid-sized centers like Grand Prairie, Fort, um, Grand Prairie um, uh, Wood Buffalo and, and Red Deer, uh, in particular, some of the larger uh, centers that are currently policed by the RCMP. This would have to have uh, a much more robust examination of whether or not they went to a municipal police service or whether they, they stayed with a, a provincial police service if that was the, the option that was available to them. Um, 
I found uh, uh, in a number of issues uh, with the, the, the presentation. It was, uh, uh, to be blunt, it was an old school uh, type of presentation. Uh, it was uh, uh, very supportive of, of, the, of the RCMP in communities across Alberta and relied very heavily on the historic value of the RCMP uh, as a police service. Uh, in, in providing um, levels of service to rural communities across the province and in fact across Western Canada in particular. Um, the financial numbers, as I'm sure if you've read any of the reports that have come out by the provincial government or been, been supplied by the RCMP, most of the financial numbers are largely unknown. Um, we really don't have a, a, a good understanding for what this model is going to look like or how robust it's going to be in terms of uh, uh, the, any kind of a, a replacement for the RCMP. Um, the, the numbers that the RCMP like to put on the Calgary Flames or the Edmonton Oilers banner when we're watching hockey is about a $540 million hit. Uh, I would suggest that that's relatively low. Um, I have been in conversation with uh, some members of, uh, of the Conservative Caucus, uh, and there are um, concerns that the number, and, and we're talking about an inception number, we're not talking about ongoing costs. We're talking about uh, a mock-up from transitioning from the RCMP over to a municipal police service. We're looking at a fairly significant cost, uh, probably somewhere in the vicinity of 1.3 billion. I'll just let that sink in for a moment. It is a significant amount of money. There's no question about it. However, with things like the, the uh, unionization of the RCMP with a 20% increase in salaries to bring them up to speed to most municipal police services across the, the, uh, across the country, uh, with changes in, uh, in the way in which uh, uh, funding formulas are, are, are likely going to occur. Um, it's very possible that uh, there's going to be some significant costs to the RCMP as well going forward, uh, even though I did find a section uh, in the, uh, um, uh, in the um, provincial police um, um, agreement, which uh, indicates that any of the costs, and I'm sure some of you would be aware of this, but any of the costs going forward for increases in wages uh, would be actually borne by the federal government. Uh, the federal government, however, is pushing back on that, and it's very likely that municipalities across the province of Alberta will at some point uh, be responsible for bearing a much larger uh, portion of the, of the provincial costs uh, for uh, for policing, whether it's with the RCMP or with a with a provincial police service, um, so understandably, I think that they want to promote uh, a very positive image of the RCMP, uh, and I think that uh, um, the surveys that they have conducted indicate that most rural areas and. I'm sure you're all aware that we basically divide into the three caucuses across the provinces, Edmonton, Calgary, and then the rest of us, uh, of which there's about a million and a half people. Um, and I think that uh, um, the, the indications are that what surveys they have conducted, most municipalities in smaller and rural communities don't want to transition to, to a, a provincial police service. They want to stay with the RCMP. And whether that's because of familiarity or uh, risk aversion or concerns about what the future might hold for any type of policing uh, in their communities, um, 
the reality is, is that many communities across the province are happy with what they have. Uh, they, they, they know the people that, that are policing their communities. Um, they know what they have. Uh, and, and, and I think that uh, uh, what they can expect from either a provincial police service or any of the changes and models that might be going forward uh, are a little bit frightening for some communities. Uh, and I understand that. And, and I think that um, uh, the RCMP members that we're presenting are probably fully aware of this. Uh, they relied very heavily on the Surrey model. Now, uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with uh, with Surrey, British Columbia, it's, a, it's the largest RCMP detachment in the, in the country. It's about 840 members currently. Um, a very good friend of mine, and some of you may know him, a former uh, deputy chief from, uh, from the Edmonton Police Service, Norm Lipinski, is now the chief in, in, uh, uh, in Surrey. Uh, they are having an extremely difficult time in transitioning over to over to a municipal police service from the RCMP. Uh, the city of, of Surrey about two years ago uh, made a decision to go in that direction. Uh, they've served notice on the RCMP. They have hired all of their executive staff, of which I think there are about 18 members. So that's inspectors, superintendents and deputy chiefs. Uh, and they're in the process of trying to hire. Um, what that looks like for uh, Surrey, British Columbia is they're hoping to attract at least half of the members uh, from uh, the existing RCMP detachment to come over to a municipal police service. Um, at this particular juncture, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, but we have to also take into consideration the fundamental reality of transitioning to any, uh, any, any police service currently. We are in uh, a fight for our lives, quite candidly, in Western Canada in regards to being able to attract and or retain bodies, never mind women, never mind visible minorities. We simply are having a, a hell of a time trying to attract people. Uh, the RCMP themselves, are hoping to attract 5,200 women this year. They're also hoping to attract 1,200 visible minorities. Well, over the last seven years, the RCMP have not been able to hire more than 800 a year. So the, the, the reality is, is that, uh, and, and they're not the only ones. Uh, Surrey is experiencing it, Edmonton, Calgary, Lethbridge, uh, Vancouver, Victoria. What we're experiencing is unprecedented levels of demand uh, and an unprecedented uh, uh, absence of applicants coming into policing. So we're having to refine the way in which we, um, we go about recruiting. Uh, and that's a process that quite candidly, the RCMP have not done particularly well at. They do a lot of hiring, but they don't do a lot of active recruiting. And so I'm talking about things like going out to sports teams, uh, setting up in gymnasiums, uh, recruiting young people right off of the equipment. Um, I work out at the ATB Centre here in Lethbridge, which is uh, managed by the YMCA, and I recruit on an, on an ongoing basis with all of the young people that are around me. This old guy of 68 is in there every morning, and uh, there are lots of young people, and um, I ask frequently, uh, you know, have you ever thought about a, a career in policing? So we're actually going to be setting up a recruiting booth in the gymnasium um, where we have all of our equipment and so forth, and, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that, uh, that they're going to be able to recruit some people out of uh, out of that group um, unless the RCMP I think are really willing to um, uh, to manage some of the rural crime that uh, that has been occurring um, and your community is not immune to that um, recruiting issues transfer issues um, resourcing issues governments governance issues are all going to continue to be a problem these would not be issues quite candidly 
once a, a, an Alberta Provincial Police Service got up and running, uh, the transition costs, as I indicated, and the transition uh, aches and pains are going to be substantial. Uh, but they are for, for any transition from one police service to another. Um, we regionalized with Coaldale a number of years ago. It was a municipal police service. We went through some growing pains. Uh, we were in that model for 12 years. And uh, long after I had retired from policing and gone on to work in the United Nations in Eastern Europe, uh, the chief of police of the day uh, allowed the relationship with Lethbridge and Coaldale to sour and, and, and Coaldale pulled out of it. Uh, Coaldale has a new detachment office where they're paying a substantial amount of rent on the building. They have uh, substantially fewer resources. The detachment is open only till two o'clock in the morning. So it's not a 24 hour detachment. Uh, and their costs are the same as what it would be where they had um, uh, more personnel and they had access to the resources uh, that uh, the Lethbridge Police Service or Regional, Regional Police Service could provide. So um, if you are in the process of having a look at what the model is that you currently have, what potential models uh, you might uh, entertain in the future, whether it's uh, going to a regional police service, whether it's uh, even entertaining a municipal police service, uh, what uh, uh, a provincial model would be, or staying with the RCMP, there's gonna have to be changes. Uh, your funding is going to increase, uh, that's uh, a given. Even if you the, the back portion of the 20% uh, increase is going to be uh, absorbed by the federal government, your costs for policing are going to be going forward. Uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you get a base of about 200,000 and then your grants uh, based on your population are about uh, almost 62,000. So your, your total grants are about uh, 262,000 a year. Is that, is that correct? I'm sorry, you're muted. Sorry about that. Uh, is that for uh, uh, the clerks or what you're saying we get back from uh, the full costing of policing? Yeah, so, so you're, you're the, the provincial grants that you receive for policing are about 262,000. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, uh, if you're if you're going to be required to absorb costs for policing going forward, and that's wages. Uh, our city, and uh, we're we're in the process of just initiating our four-year budget again. Uh, our our city uh, um, uh, CFO is looking at a one one point five percent increase in wages. Uh, that's for all of the unions, which include the police service. Uh, it includes fire and EMS, it includes uh, QPs, uh, IAFF and so forth. Um, quite candidly, uh, I've told him he's dreaming. Uh, there's absolutely no way that we're, gonna, that we're going to be able to settle contracts at one and a half percent. Those contracts are upwards of three and a half to four percent, and that's what they're being settled across the province. So it's going to be a significant cost increase, um, and the RCMP are now playing catch up. So that's where your costs are. Um, I have I asked a number of questions in regards to enhancing the model of policing, and this is where uh, municipalities need to really be asking some very pointed questions. Uh, and some of those questions, I think, are are um, uh, in regards to enhancing the model that you currently have. Quite candidly, I, I've done this these studies for a number of municipalities across Western Canada, uh, and I have yet to say to any of the municipalities, yes, it's going to be cheaper to go to a municipal service or a regional service. Uh, it's going to cost you more to begin with. In the long run, over 20 years, yes, it's going to cost you less because municipal police services, uh, by and large, if you look at Ontario as a model where you have uh, 
um, the RCMP is a provincial police service in Western Canada. You have uh, the Ontario Provincial Police in, in Eastern Canada. Uh, municipal police services are the lowest cost. Munis uh, provincial police services are mid-range and the RCMP are the most expensive. And when you're looking at those kinds of costs, the costs which they, they don't often articulate for you is the cost per cop, which is about 212,000 for an RCMP member, about 100 uh, or 202,000 for a provincial police service member and about 192,000 for a municipal member. But it's the transition cost that it's gonna take for you to get there that is gonna, that's going to have such an impact. Um, with your population of about, uh, Chris, I think you're at about 7,693 souls. Yeah, we're just under that. We're actually at the new census, I think 6,800 or 6,500 just came out. So we actually dropped by 3.3%. You dropped by 3.3%? What's happening? It must be the <laughs> snow or the weather or something. Who knows? It's a wind for us. <laughs> um, but in any event, uh, at the end of the day, um, it's it's you're over the 5,000 threshold. And and, uh, and so there are going to be some implications for you coming up. Um, and uh, what I what I encourage municipalities that are that are looking at their policing is to ensure that uh, that you're looking at uh, offsetting your cost by looking at regional policing models. And I know, Chris, uh, you 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 are into uh, uh, somewhat of a regional policing model currently in which you share resources with other other areas of the of the region. And I think that's important. Uh, we are going to need to see fewer detachments, so fewer dollars put into infrastructure um, in terms of buildings. Um, <clears throat> the, the RCMP is looking at, I think, 37 buildings across the province currently. Um, and, 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 and of course, their costs for infrastructure continue to mount, uh, as do everybody else's. Uh, but if you go to a regional policing model where, for example, uh, the County of Lethbridge has uh, two uh, RCMP detachments and they've just collapsed one. Uh, the Pincher Creek detachment has been collapsed and so those members are now uh, reporting out of the Coaldale detachment, which is now servicing the County of Lethbridge. And I think you're gonna see more of that across the province. And then of course, it's, 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 uh, it's about managing governance. And, and whether you have a policing committee and how that policing committee provides direction uh, to the RCMP. We've really got four key pieces there that would that, that have to be considered in terms of uh, whether you transition your model or whether you improve your model. Uh, and that's certainly looking at a regional policing model where you offset some of your costs. Um, you look at fewer detachments in the region, which can uh, compound your, det your detachment currently. So more resources would be moved into your detachment. Um, looking at a policing committee model uh, <clears throat> in which you actually are, are providing some input into governance. Uh, and also it allows you to, uh, to better manage uh, your resources, both uh, human resources as well as financial resources. So those are some things that um, uh, in talking with a number of communities across uh, the province of Alberta, um, I'm asking them to be alive to. Uh, I'm not suggesting one way or another that the APP is going to be a better, uh, a better, better model, or the RCMP is the best model, or even municipal or regional police services are, are a better model. Um, you have to figure out what's going to be best for you. Some of it is cost effectiveness. Some of it is governance. Um, how much do you really want to have a control? And for some communities, and, and I can tell you this um, very uh, unabashedly, some communities just simply don't want the risk. 
because when you take on the responsibility of providing governance to a police service, you take on risks and, and you need to be fully aware of those. So I'm, I'm just about used up my time, Your Worship. And, and uh, if, you, if anybody has any questions in regards to the briefing note that I provided or, uh, or any questions in general, please feel free. Councillors, uh, Councillor Carr. You're still muted, uh, Brad. There we go. Sorry about that. That's okay. Right. Now I can hear you. I've been off for a week. I got to be retrained. Um, <laughs> You mentioned earlier about the RCMP dealing with rural crime. Now, is that really the issue or, or is the issue the catch and release program that the courts seem to have? Like, it seems like they arrest and then they're back re-arresting a few days later and a few days later, you know, the same guys and it's a waste of resources and time. And I realize a lot of that is due to, you know, well, many, many reasons why. But uh, do you think that is an RCMP issue or is that, a, is that a justice system, a court's problem? Well, there, there's, thanks for the question, Brad. There, there's, there's no one issue. Um, uh, is it resources? Yes. It, it's, uh, and you well know how long it takes to, uh, to reacquire resources. If, uh, if a member is promoted or transferred, uh, retires, uh, goes off on, on long-term disability, uh, it takes a significant amount of time for that person to land back in, in Peace River. Um, so so those, those are concerns. Um, funding for policing across, uh, uh, I mean, we're now looking at a $17.5 billion industry. That's a pretty big industry in Canada. Uh, and that's what it costs to police across Canada. So yeah, costing is, 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 a, is an issue. Municipalities are concerned about the number of police officers. And uh, I was just looking at documentation uh, because I'll be going into meetings uh, tomorrow uh, with um, uh, Lethbridge uh, Police um, uh, Commission uh, and the City of Lethbridge. And we're looking at 88% of our policing budget is now wages and benefits. Um, yours is probably somewhere comparable to that, um, which, by the way, it gives the chief very little wiggle room to, uh, to be able to manage it. So uh, in terms of the impact on rural crime, it is a change uh, in the dynamics of crime. Uh, we have seen a significant uptick uh, in, in reported crimes, uh, whether it's property crimes or violent crimes, we're seeing an uptick again. This, this happens in ebbs and flows. What we're seeing is we're seeing the new generation of criminals now taking hold. Uh, so the, the Gen Z, which are now 25 and under, are now hitting their violent crime rate. Um, just like the baby boom generation, of which I see most of us are members, uh, with the exception of the deputy mayor, uh, most of us are members of the baby boom generation, and we saw ebbs and flows. As our generation hit their early 20s, the violent crime rate skyrocketed, and it stayed very, very consistent right through until our generation was right in their 40s. That's after most of the violent crime uh, members of our generation had gone to prison. Now they're back out, and this is one of the reasons why you're seeing such an uptick in fraud and, and white-collar crime. Why? Because our generation of criminals have gone into this in big, in, in large numbers because they don't want to go back to prison for uh, to do another five-year bit for an armed robbery when they can take advantage of our generation through fraud, and it's a relatively low-yield um, 
in terms of uh, uh, any kind of exposure, and it's a sorry, and it's a very high yield in terms of uh, uh, response or or, or uh, outcomes. You talked in terms of, uh, of of the crown and prosecution. Yeah, there's a whole series of issues with prosecutions. Um, part of it is resourcing. Uh, they absolutely have an insufficient number of prosecutors across the province, and so what prosecutors are being told is. Go for, go for the meat of the matter. Um, we can't afford, unfortunately, we can't afford to clog up the dockets with um, uh, uh, cases. And as you're probably aware, we've got a whole series of, uh, of uh, uh, federal court decisions in regards to delays. Uh, we simply cannot delay court uh, appearances anymore. And so the Crown is either staying or um, uh, tossing out uh, uh, cases against uh, against criminals. Um, we've just had. Uh, we don't have a federal crown prosecutor. Well, we have a we have a a, a defense counsel here in Lethbridge and uh, for the region who does drug prosecutions, and he's paid for by the federal justice. Uh, department. The downside is he's not a dedicated prosecutor, and so his attitude is deal it. We literally, um, and we have a combined forces drug enforcement team down here, which works organized crime and, uh, and large drug cases. Uh, they've been told don't lay any um, uh, possession charges because they simply won't prosecute them. So unless it's significant seizures, um, possession for the purpose, drug trafficking uh, uh, offenses and so forth, they're not even prosecuting them anymore. Uh, and that's uh, got a trickle down effect to a variety of different offenses across the board. So your, your, your comment is, is accurate in that it is a prosecutorial issue, um, but it is more important and it is a policing issue, but more importantly, it's a resourcing issue. And I think we have to, particularly in, in um, rural areas of, of our province, we have to make some decisions about what's important to us. Um, when I was running for election uh, this year, um, I ran on a campaign of enhancing public safety. It was the number one issue that was identified. We have a high cri uh, priority cr or, um, uh, crime index in Lethbridge. We have a high opioid addiction crisis. We have a high violent crime index. Okay, yes, we're number one in all three categories across Canada. Um, it's something to be proud about, sure. Uh, but at the end of the, that was sarcasm, just in case. Um, at the end of the day, the reality is, is, is that we have problems in, in big cities. We have big city problems. Um, and rural communities across the province are having those same kinds of problems. So yes, it's, it's multifactorial. Uh, that's the end, of the, the, the end of my response, Brad. Thank you. Um, Deputy Mayor Scammerhorn. Thank you, Madam. Um, can you perhaps comment on uh, the the type of police officer one would get, like say hiring, you know, within province and working within province, or hiring from within community, working within community? Do do you do you find, or have you found, as maybe there's data, perhaps anecdotal, um, of that uh, you get better quality policing or better community policing hiring, um, you know, people from say within the culture of where they are, uh, uh, you know raised and, and that sort of thing as opposed to uh, you know importing not that you know our, our eastern neighbors here in Canada are all that different from us but you know perhaps a different different view outlook on life knowing the knowing the territory is that does that factor in at all with uh, with what's going on here with these decisions we have coming up for our province thanks for the question you've been listening to the premier 
because the Premier is utilizing that. Any of us that have been to uh, AUMA, which is now AM, I guess, uh, and listen to the Premier, the Premier has, has been uh, responding to that across the province saying that, uh, you know, homegrown is better, uh, they last longer, they're more committed and so forth. Um, there is a little more to it. I, I'm, 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 I am acquainted with, with RCMP members that, that do find the same thing. And so this, this isn't, this isn't a, like a single source point question. I've, I've, I've yeah. no, gathered I, this from others too. So. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, quite honestly. So here, here's my take. And I, I I've, I've uh, hired um, probably close to a thousand police officers between Calgary and, uh, and Lethbridge. Uh, and it's a, a bit of a passion uh, that I have uh, quite candidly. Uh, if you're breathing right now, um, we're looking at you. Uh, so if you come from, if you've just graduated from the Nicolette Police Academy in, in, uh, in Nicolette, Quebec, and you've gone through a three-year program at one of their uh, community colleges called CEGEPS, and you graduate there, we're going to go after you. If you're graduating from uh, the Atlantic Police Academy, we're going to go after you. Uh, if, you're, if you are a police officer in the UK, uh, which includes Scotland, Ireland, and Britain, we're going to go after you. Uh, we need the bodies. Uh, and... and uh, uh, it, yes, it's always nice. In fact, uh, I can certainly reflect on hiring members. My recruit class, and uh, I had just uh, uh, spent three years in Montreal, um, uh, and I came out to Calgary, joined the Calgary Police Service in 1980. My class was the first class to have members from the Atlantic Police Academy actively recruited. So we sent members out to the police academy. We recruited members right out of the Atlantic Police Academy. My class had the first three members. All three of them left before we finished probation. The next class in behind us had 24 members, 12 of them were from the Atlantic Police Academy. Uh, I think six of them uh, retired after 25 years. The other six went back at some point. Um, do they stay? No, they often don't stay. And the reason that they often don't stay is because opportunities arise for them. Uh, and there's something about New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and Newfoundland uh, uh, that, that attracts people, uh, particularly if you're from there. Um, I grew up in Montreal. I spent uh, the first 26 years of my life there. Um, although I've been back many times, I've lived in Alberta for 42 years, 43 years now. Uh, and I have no interest in going back, never have had. So, um, you know, in, you, you've got that combination. Uh, I, I don't use it as an, as, a, as an argument one way or the other. Uh, what we're looking for is we're looking for qualified people and we need to develop uh, new strategies. I've worked with the RCMP Northwest Recruiting Division. Um, they utilize a very antiquated model. Uh, they wait for people to come in the door. They hire, they don't recruit. Uh, and that's a model that you're seeing now in many police services like Victoria, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Lethbridge. We're having to go out and we're having to actively recruit a new generation. And by recruiting, I mean, we go where they are. Uh, we try and attract them with all kinds of incentives. Um, you know, Victoria is offering $20,000 for members coming in from elsewhere. Uh, 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 um, uh, Surrey is offering $20,000 above what a, what a constable will make in, uh, in Alberta. Uh, so, because we're all very, very close in terms of the amount. So, you know, it, it th there is some truth to, you know, if you can hire people locally, uh, that's a good thing. Um, but the RCMP have for many, many years not hired a kid from Lloyd Minster, uh, put the person through recruit training in, in depot, uh, and then put them back into Lloyd Minster. That, that doesn't happen that frequently. Um, the members that you have in, in the Peace River, how many of them are actually born and raised in the Peace River? I Very doubtful any of them were. 
Yeah, and, and, and that, that's, I mean, that's true all across the country. Um, and, and it's not just because they, you know, they hire a young kid from, uh, from the Peace River. Of course, anybody on, under 50 these days is young to me. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when you're looking, when you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at uh, you know, trying to recruit people locally and then putting them back into their location, um, we've got lots of examples of, of how that's, uh, especially in smaller communities, it's really tough. Uh, the, the First Nations Reserve struggle with that, you know, hiring people off of the reserve and putting them through training, whether it's the Regional Police Academy here in Lethbridge or the RCMP uh, training facility in, in Regina. Um, it's really tough to police your family, um, and, and I get that. Uh, you know, so getting a young person from the Peace River who grew up there, uh, who wanted to, you know, wanted to go into policing, goes to Regina and then uh, somehow gets back to the Peace River, that's, a, that's an exception to the rule. It's, not, it's, it's certainly not uh, very common. Um, in larger municipalities like Lethbridge, uh, where we have, uh, you know, we have uh, the college and the university, uh, we have um, uh, thousands of kids go through the, uh, the, um, uh, the criminal justice program here. Uh, but even here, it's interesting, and they come from, well, we get about 8,000 students uh, in the college and the university that come from outside, about 6,500 from the community. You know the number one reason uh, why they come to, uh, to the university and to the college? They come from Saskatchewan and British Columbia primarily. You know the number one reason? Our drinking age is 18. That's it. Uh, and then they're done and they, they don't stay. In fact, we can't keep the 6,500 that, uh, that grew up in Lethbridge. We can't keep them here either. Uh, they move on to the bright lights of Calgary and some of them come back. Um, you know, we've got, a, we've got an active uh, uh, experienced police <laughs> recruiting uh, program, but you know, we get maybe three a year if we're lucky. So yeah, there is some merit to that, but at the end of the day, it's, yeah, they're just, uh, uh, it would be nice so to be able to get them, but uh, quite candidly, I don't buy into the fantasy. So, John, we're running out of time here. Uh, Councillor Ford has maybe a short question or comment. Yeah, just a short comment. So um, I like how you mentioned Peace River there because I do have, I think, four or five friends um, that are born and raised in Peace River. Um, two of them are now sergeants with the RCMP. Um, I do understand, uh, like when uh, Councillor Carr was holding up his hand saying zero born and raised here. Uh, I do understand that, that the RCMP normally don't put uh, their members back into the community they were raised in, just like simply your comment of uh, policing your own family. But uh, the members that I know or the friends that I know are active members within, within the police force and they actually work ah, maybe just a few hours away from here is their, their base attachment. So just, just a comment. Yeah, and, and, and good for them for being able to, to, to land back close at home. Um, it, it's something that uh, municipal police services have for many years touted as one of the, the primary advantages because you get to stay in the same area and you get all the big things that the big cities have to have to provide. But, you know, there's there's lots to be said for working in small towns and and uh, and rural detachments and so forth. Um, I just got a, a, a friend of mine who was with the Calgary Police Service for quite a number of years. Uh, his wife is a neurosurgeon here in the city, uh, and he uh, commuted between Lethbridge and Calgary for a number of years and then decided to pack it in, ran a coffee shop until COVID, uh, and then joined the RCMP. And he's out, out in Raymond, which is about uh, 20 minutes from the city. Um, and he likes it because it's, uh, it's a different pace. Uh, he gets to, uh, you know, he gets to follow up on files. He gets to, he gets to learn people. Whereas, 
the units that he worked in in Calgary, he worked downtown, uh, which is a tough place to work. I, I know I worked there for 16 years in Calgary. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, it's important to uh, to get to know the people in your community. And and at this stage of his life, his kids are growing and, and uh, he's in his 40s now. And he says, yeah, this is this is the style of policing that I want to do. So a provincial police service would, would provide some of that. The RCMP provides some of that. And so do municipal and regional police services. It's a matter of uh, what do you want to get out of your police service and uh, how do you want to contribute to their growth and development? Thanks for the question. So, so John, uh, thank you for your presentation. I think we've got your uh, contacts. So if any of the councillors have further questions, uh, maybe they can uh, contact you directly. But thank you for your information and your uh, talk about your past experiences. You're welcome. And thanks very much. And uh, have a good winter. And um, we're hoping for spring soon. Yes, indeed. <laughs> take care. Hey, take care. Sir. Thank you very much. Take care, John. Okay, so our next uh, presentation, we have uh, Channing Stanhouse and Joanna Downing, Peace River Library, and they have a grants to organizations request. Um, just to note for all and any of the grants to organizations requests, the deadline for um, this intake of uh, applications is tomorrow. So tonight what we will be doing is listening to the presentations and gleaning some information and at a further council meeting decisions will be made. So I'll turn it over to you two ladies and uh, lead us through. Good evening, everyone. How is everyone doing? Good to see you all there. Missing you all. So this is Channing's brilliant little idea. I'm the current chair for the library, so I'm going to let Channing lead the, the presentation, but it was, it's just really great to see you guys all. So take it away, Channing. Thanks, Johanna, and good evening, everyone. Um, so uh, this is just a, a small request. Uh, we've been thinking about looking around the community and thinking about, okay, as we reopen, um, we want to support some of the local businesses and, you know, really pay thanks to, give thanks to all the people that have supported us, the library, the community, and, uh, and try to coax people back downtown, try to coax people, um, coax people out as the, list, as the restrictions are being lifted. Um, and, you know, bring support to some of those businesses that have been struggling over the last little while. And um, so one of those businesses is our neighbor, um, Tapped Out Gaming and Entertainment. Um, so I reached out to them and um, brought up the idea of doing a joint program with them. Um, sort of a thank you again to all our library patrons for their patience and for, um, you know, everybody that supported us over the last while. Um, to run uh, a joint program in recreation. Um, so this request is uh, a small one for the, uh, the uh, recreation and sport development uh, grant that's available. Um, the project itself uh, would look like, uh, basically we would rent the bowling alley for an entire day. Um, with that, we would offer uh, children's and family programming, some scavenger hunts, some, uh, have some, some things set out for the littles because, you know, maybe not enough dragons to go around for the bowling, um, set out some uh, uh, busy stations and sensory bins and, uh, you know, maybe run a couple of different contests, things of that nature, and just really try to get people out, um, out and enjoying the community again. Uh, with this, we are trying to, you know, make sure that we're, uh, uh, 
providing this at a, at a good time for everyone. So uh, the date that we're currently eyeing is uh, March the 10th, so coming right up. Um, the reason for doing things in the middle of the week on a Thursday is, is it's a PD day. Um, so we'll have lots of families who will be, uh, you know, looking after kids, uh, maybe looking for something to do during the week while the teachers are at convention for, that's for uh, Peace River School Division. Um, with that, you know, uh, we have some things that we would be providing to the to tapped out uh, in support of that. Um, so some of those things would include the children's games, the busy stations. Um, we might be looking at running a movie. Uh, I think their their virtual golf room is basically set up like a little theater. So we'd be looking at a, an additional little movie license to run a movie in there and then running some promotion for that as well. Um, so the grand total of this beautiful day, which we hope would reach um, probably between 250 and 270 people is our hope, that's our goal, um, would be $1,500. Um, at this time, that's that's it in a nutshell. It's pretty. It's a pretty small project, but we hope that it'll have a really big impact, and we hope it'll bring people back into the downtown core, and you know, really get us building those connections that we've we've lost and seeing faces that we haven't seen um, through the pandemic. And of course, all of this is um, assuming that we're able to do this at that time. But with the timelines, you know, put forth. Um, proposed by the province of the lifting of restrictions and everything for March 1st, we anticipate that this would be good to go. Thank you. Uh, councillors, do you have questions? Uh, Councillor Ford? Uh, good to see you again, uh, Johanna. Um, yeah, in, re in regards to your presentation there and on your uh, report, you're, you're talking about promotion uh, in kind of $50. Is that is that your advertising budget to get the word out? Is just $50 or do you have other means? Uh, mostly we're thinking that uh, the $50 would be for boosting in social media. Um, we do already have a reach of, I think it's about 1400 people in Peace Server that follow our page. Um, additionally, we would be putting this into the, uh, the, uh, the community calendar for the uh, Peace River Broadcasting. They've been really great about pushing uh, community events. I've heard I've heard them mention the library many times, and I'm sure that you know if they saw this this event going on, um, they would push that as well. And then additionally, um, you know I'm sure that uh, Tapped Out has their own reach through social media. Um, you know we can absolutely send off uh, emails to um, the different schools. I've made requests to them to send to uh, promote our different. Uh, programs uh, through the, the school Facebook pages and everything before, and they, they have done those things in the past. So we're quite hopeful that we can, we can reach a, a broad number of people on a, on a very small, on a very, uh, yeah, no, on a small budget. Okay, thank you. Uh, Councillors, any further questions? I got a quick one, Shani. Okay. Is this for uh, library members only? Oh, great question. So no, we, we thought about, you know, whether we wanted to make this for library members only. Um, but, you know, really, we just think once the word gets out there, everybody's going to get so excited, they're just want going to want to come by. Um, so we see this as, you know, the bonuses that people will see the library presence at the bowling alley on that day. Um, myself, I might be the person running potentially a, a, a membership table if people want to sign up for their library memberships, renew themselves while they're there. We might even still be able to connect to the library Wi-Fi. <laughs> we're so close. So um, we're hoping that we should be able to run that. Um, but no, it would be open to the general public. 
And then in terms of, you know, how that'll work, you know, because a bowling alley is something where you've got your lane, we're thinking we'll have a sign up, you know, where the people have their names and when a game is done, we'll cycle through people. And um, I'm, they've already got that all in place at the bowling alley for when they're, they're running their regular programming. Great question, Mark. Johanna, did you have anything else to add? I don't think so, Channing. I, as I said, it was such a great idea, a great way for us to connect with some physical activity and uh, support some of the other air, um, business in the area and bring people back downtown. So that was really our goal. And it just falls outside of our normal budget. So we were like, where can this, where can we work this? And it fits our, fits our current grant program. So that's, that's all, all I have to say, unless there's any other questions. Looks like we're we're good for tonight. So thank you both and thanks good everyone. luck with the project. Okay, thank thanks a million. Good to see you. You as well. Bye bye. Okay, our next presentation would be Rob Stavney from the Boreal Nature Network. And is Rob on? I see his name. Hi there. Yep, I'm on. Great. Okay, so we'll let you take it away, Rob. Rob, you're not uh, singing this presentation. I, I can. I've got a I got a guitar. Yeah, yeah, that would uh, go go a long way. Go uh, a long way. Well, maybe I'll I'll rough it out uh, a cappello this time, and uh, <laughs> we'll try try for music next time. Um, so this should be a quick little presentation here. Uh, I guess I'll just introduce myself first. My name is Rob Stabney. I've uh, been a biologist in Peace River for about 15 years in a variety of roles. That's with Alberta Conservation Association. Um, uh, also did a, a couple of years with um, DMI as biodiversity superintendent there. And currently I own and operate an ecological consulting business here. I'm, I'm active around the region, active around the province and actually active in, in BC as well. Um, recently, I've helped to form a nonprofit society called the Boreal Nature Network uh, with four other colleagues um, that all started in Peace River and they've all moved off to different areas. So I'm the last one in Peace River here now. But the, uh, the Boreal Nature Network has been active for about a, a full year now. It's got three, um, three main pillars that link with existing groups and interests. Um, around the province. So those three pillars are education and outreach, citizen science, and research. And as a quick synopsis of what we're asking for tonight, the Boreal Nature Network has submitted an application through your quarterly community development grant to organizations. We're asking for an annual contribution of $2,000 for a one to five year period to help support job creation and experience building for two local students they're planning to attend post-secondary studies in natural sciences or conservation. So that's the monetary portion that we're looking for. We are also asking for some logistics support in establishing two to three sites within the town limits to help set up some bat boxes. Um, so working through in detail what this proposal is getting at, the Boreal Nature Network is currently working on a citizen science initiative called Building Better Bat Communities. 
The project aims to facilitate citizen science participation and to develop bat conservation projects in Northern Alberta communities in alignment with existing programs that are active at provincial and continental scales. So these programs that are already in existence are called the Alberta Community Bat Program and the North American Bat Program. There's also some contribution to a lot of uh, research studies across Western Canada. There are currently a lot of issues and unknowns related to bat ecology in general, uh, but especially within Northern communities, there's been a lot more research dedicated to closer to the, uh, the Canada-US border, and there's been hardly any representation in Northern communities. Um, so bat conservation represents largely pioneer science uh, because the technology to detect bats uh, through detection of their ultrasonic, like their high frequency, uh, their calls um, is finally available to scientists. So it's a very um, strong growing field of interest within the scientific community. Um, some of the issues that bats face are unknown habitat associations. So we know they're here, but we don't know where exactly they are. As a result, they're prone to habitat destruction. We know that there's likely some uh, bat caves, uh, hibernacula around the area in forested units within uh, rural communities here. But if we don't know about them, we can't really protect them. Um, we've got generally an unknown bat ecology within the Northern Ranges and just some basic simple science that we, we just don't have a good understanding of. They're a group that is typically persecuted and, and quite misunderstood. And probably one of the biggest things that we're looking at is there's an approaching storm of white-nosed fungus syndrome that is moving west across North America. They're considered, a, um, several species are considered species at risk because of that fungal infection. And we need to get ahead of this um, as much as possible. Where that comes into play is uh, we fear that there are large groups of, of bats colonizing in, in a few small areas. And if white fungus gets into those areas, it could devastate entire populations. So what we're trying to do is uh, diversify their habitats through some artificial means. That's what the bat box um, erection is, is looking at and then trying to get some information um, regarding their use. So we've been recently successful with an application to the Alberta Conservation Association to help develop the citizen science program within Northern communities. So Alberta Conservation Association has provided money to purchase bat boxes. They have set up monies to help us deliver a volunteer um, citizen science program. Uh, we have started engagement with several communities to identify sites to establish bat box locations. And we're looking at developing employment and resume building opportunities for aspiring young biologists. So like I say, ACA has generously provided funding for the purchase of the bat boxes, as well as the hard costs association with a lot um, hard costs associated with the data collection from volunteers. Uh, using that grant money, we've also purchased echo meters, uh, which are recording devices that you can just plug into your iPhone, like um, your iPhone here, 
it just plugs right into that lightning port and your phone is now a, a bat detector. So you can help uh, understand what species are using a particular uh, bit of habitat. Uh, there is uh, the other bits of data that we collect from the sites are uh, bat poop, guano. So we collect that and we would send that off to a PhD researcher in BC and they would get back with a confirmation of species ID. Uh, we would be installing humidity and temperature data loggers within some of our natural sites to understand some of the better microhabitats that are associated with the stronger uh, uh, usage of those areas. So we've got a lot of those basic components in place from that ACA grant, but what we lack is some basic horsepower to help lead volunteers. Um, we also need people to present findings to participant communities and to help conduct some consistent data collection. Anybody that's worked with volunteers before, you get what you pay for in a lot of cases. Um, lots of people that are willing and able to come out and help out, but when push comes to shove, they've, they've got something on the go. So it's, it's important to have at least one consistent uh, group that's committed to data collection. And that's what we're asking for here. So we, with that in mind, we invite a partnership to work with various communities to help build better bad communities. Northern Sunrise County has already committed to engage with us. Um, they are donating two to three sites around the, uh, around the county where we're going to set up some bat boxes. So the new Murphy's Flats uh, day use area, uh, the Harmon Valley campground are, are two spots. And I think there's a third or fourth one that we're looking at as well. Uh, Northern Sunrise County is also providing bursary money for each of two students to help drive these volunteer programs to perform the baseline bat surveys at, uh, at known bat colonies and at new box setups. They are going to be helping to lead groups on bat walks and then they're going to be communicating their findings to the community through newsletter contributions or, or websites. Um, so the contribution from Northern Sunrise County equals $1,000 for each of two students where they will be performing 40 hours of work within the Northern Sunrise County. And they've signed on for a five-year commitment that starts this spring. So we are looking to add additional communities to this effort and local to the town of Peace River is key in that. So tonight I'm engaging the town of Peace River. Uh, I've also got plans to be meeting with the MD of Smoky River MD of Peace and MD of Green, Greenview to ask them the same question I'm asking you guys tonight. And so again, we're asking for support in two areas in support of this initiative. Um, some logistics support to help identify two or three sites within the town limits where we can set up some bat boxes. And that is going to be for the Boreal Nature Network and volunteers to maintain. So there's no, no responsibility from the town to maintain those at all. Uh, we're also looking to ask for funding in the amount of $2,000 for as many years as you guys are willing that would support two students to contribute 40 hours each within the town of Peace River in support of this conservation initiative. So they would be working with volunteers, collecting data, and communicating through the public through existing town channels such as Facebook or the newsletters. Um, and that's about it. 
How big is the bat box? The there's two styles. Well, there's actually a number of styles that we've got. Um, the smallest one that we've got is about a foot and a half tall by six inches wide. Uh, there's another size up from that that's still about a foot and a half tall, but probably a foot and a half wide. And those are kind of the multi-chambered sort of family group boxes. The first ones were kind of a bachelor suite, you might think of them as. Um, and then we're also looking at setting up some maternal or like some colony boxes that would have, you know, multiple families uh, might be suitable for, for long-term staging. There are some, frankly, ginormous bat colony boxes that you can get that look like a small treehouse. That's not what we're looking for in this case. We're just looking for some of the smaller community boxes to, to get set up in, in town. Thank you. Uh, Councillors, do you have any questions of Mr. Stavney? So um, I don't know if you heard uh, at the beginning of the presentation section, but um, we're listening to presentations tonight and gaining some information and uh, the deadline for the applications is tomorrow. So it'll be by the end of February or thereabouts that we would get back to you with um, whatever decision council can come up with. Uh, your, your worship, actually what we'll be doing is uh, it, uh, we are bringing the second group of people who will be applying at the next meeting and then at the very latest the first meeting in march that's what i believe that's going to happen unless we don't have anyone um after tomorrow okay so it'll be march <laughs> any uh for further uh comments questions well whatever good luck with your uh your project and hope that white fungus stuff stays away <laughs> for yeah. one thing mm -hmm. yeah. thanks, thank, Rob. thank you okay thanks do you guys want me to stay on or can i sign off or? you can sign off if you wouldn't want to stay with us thanks for asking thanks for the opportunity here tonight though. okay good night okay rob bye Okay, our next presentation is from the Springfield Parent Advisory Council when we have Maria Needham. And it says 6 p.m. here. So, gee whiz, we're kind of on time. So, uh, we'll let you go forth, uh, Maria. Hi, I'll correct you, Your Worship. It's Mara, but don't worry. It gets, it's everybody always gets it wrong. And I'm sure all of the counselors and staff members may or may not recognize my last name and if it helps, yes, I'm related to him. If it doesn't help, I don't know who he is. <laughs> yes, I am Colin Needham's daughter-in-law and I'm also a volunteer of the of our a fundraising committee of the Springfield Parent Advisory Council. Um, over the last few years, our council has seen lots of changeover, of course, as students graduate and move on to TA and all of that, but there are a group of us, four of us, that have been fundraising this fall and winter uh, to build a new playground at Springfield School. Um, I don't, I sent Ruth a PowerPoint, which I think that maybe you all have, are looking at. If not, I can share it. I've never done that, but we could try. Um, of the structure that's being replaced as well as the original option and what we are looking at now. So I guess a little history on 
the two options is the previous council a couple of years ago had looked at one option and was like, this is a lot of money. We aren't going to be able to raise it. COVID had just hit all of that. So they kind of went down to a lesser option. And as I'm going to tell you that we have been very successful. So a little bit history of the Springfield Parent Advisory Council. Our mission is to support the academic, mental and physical well-being of all students and provide them with the best possible education experience. We achieve this by fostering communication with school staff, parents and provide resources to help enrich their educational experience. The main one this year being a outdoor playground because I can tell you through the pandemic, um, the children at recess have all been class cohorted and designated to zones and all of that wonderful things and having kind of a smaller structure and one that has been deteriorating has been fun um, to, uh, sorry, I just got a call, to, uh, for the kids, it's been hard, like they're kind of, some days it's your relegated to a basketball hoop. So having a fancy new playground will be awesome. And we know how important outdoor play is for children. All of uh, gross motor skills, fine motor skills, socialization, all things like that are super, super, super important in their development. So um, we started with a original um, structure that we were going to be building and um, uh, we through the fall, the, the four of us reached out to a, a lot of local businesses and other uh, other councils and MDs, grants, all of that. I still have three more grants that open up here in March, April, and May that I will be filling out one through Canada Post, one through um, Alberta Blue Cross, and one through UFA. I've also applied for a co-op grant, and we also applied for and received money from the Community Facility Enhancement Fund. Um, thanks, Ruth. Um, <laughs> uh, where, which we received just over $69,000. Um, when we started this project back in September, our, we, were, we needed about $160,000. And through lots of fundraising, we have hit that we were able then to add in another structure and the one kind of portion that we have left is which we are still hoping to get in kind the group is working on it donations and or funds to provide um, equipment to dig the hole that the structure will go in as well as the roughly 370 loads of pea gravel that we need to go around the structure um, so that's kind of where we're at. So with what we have left to achieve with the upgrade and all of that, we are short about $30,000. Um, I don't have a number <laughs> that I'm coming to you with. We basically, we've done the same presentation to the Northern Sunrise County and they looked at it and decided what they could afford to give. And we've accepted whatever. We have different tiering of what each um, level of, fund, of, of donation gets you and we have lots of um, ways that we're recognizing everybody who donates over $200 gets a shout out on social media. We will have certification or cert certificates of donation in kind for you guys to display if um, all of those wonderful things which we um, have for you. So that's kind of where we're at. So um, I appreciate your time. I also, when we're done this, have another presentation because I'm on multiple boards. It's what I do. I, um, but um, that's where we're at. So we're very excited. The, pro, uh, the 
project is breaking ground this summer. We are we are set. Blue Imp is coming up, I do believe, from the states where they come from, and um, they're coming up with a guy and a couple of staffers, and we're gonna build a brand new playground that the entire community will get to use. <sighs> Well, that sounds like very good news. Um, so just to clarify, you're asking for basically anything up to 31,080 yeah, or, whatever. Yeah. or 370 loads of gravel. Yeah, something like that. I, I haven't I have sent out emails. I am swamped with I'm on four different boards and I have two events and I've we've sent out letters to various gravel pits and all that trying to get a quote and I just there's there's four of us that all have jobs and children and all of that so i, I don't mm -hmm. actually have the quote of what the 370 loads of gravel will equal but i'm hoping we can get some in kind i don't know that anybody's going to give me the full but i'm going to shoot for the stars and because i won't lie that we've we didn't i we were very nervous when we took we undertook this and we're well, you've done very, ourselves. yeah <laughs> you've done very well thus far by the looks of it here so uh what was northern sunrise's uh commitment or have they actually committed yes, no, yet. They, yeah. they actually so when amanda barkwell was our, our is our fundraising coordinator and she presented to them and at the time we were just under fifteen thousand. we were like 14 673 i think is what it was um left to hit our 160 goal and they gave us the rest so um that's they kind of they were the what pushed us to okay we've hit this but we still have to do gravel and we still have to um we still have to do gravel and um oh we could add this second structure in that we were looking at because we had actually kind of pushed us over a little bit to what um we were expecting we had a couple of fundraisers go quite well and we had lots of money come come in all at once and it was like we had a massive grant a massive donation from the frank and agnes loveson foundation they gave us fifteen thousand dollars it's the biggest um donation they've ever given and those both kind of came at once and we were like Wow, and there was this structure, a play apparatus um, called the Apollo that is super, super popular. And the, I have seen at different playgrounds. They have one down in uh, Dunvegan. They have one at a park that my kids have frequented at Edmonton. And I've never seen a kid not have fun on it. And it was about, it's about 15, 20. And we kind of were, oh, we're over that. We could add that back in. And then it was, oh, but we have to do gravel and all of that, which we are still hoping to get donations for. We are still lunging ahead because we have all these grants that are also you guys and all the other um all the other grants yeah we have there's a few co-op i just finished i'm a busy gal your worship sounds like <laughs> it sounds like it uh counselors do you have any questions uh counselor ford hi, hi mara good to see you again good to um, see you yeah, two questions for you uh sure. what was that what was the shortfall number again would you 31,000 31,000 yeah. And besides the grants that you mentioned you're going to apply for, how many more presentations to our neighbors do you have to make? None. I, I there's a couple of follow-ups, but I um I haven't this is this is we've only done, yeah. Uh County of Northern Lights has donated, um, MD of Peace declined. And I think that's the that's the big four, right? That's the big four of around us. You guys, County of Northern Lights, Northern Sunrise. Yeah. I don't think I'm missing essentially one. I? yeah I think yeah. you've got the three um I, I got I, I we've, we've circled everybody County of Northern Lights gave us 5,000 okay. um and so um yeah and yeah so you guys you guys were our last ones um I had just missed the November deadline when we it we had just missed the November deadline so it's like okay well we'll do February and um 
so that was, yeah, you guys are our last kind of presentation. There's some businesses that we're still following up with. Um, but, um, and then yeah, businesses I've like Northside, Northside, um, Armstrong, Ruel contracting or gravel pits and all of that Grimshaw gravel Hopkins, which was used to be Weber aggregate. We still have to kind of, we've sent feelers out to them and have to follow up, but um it's we have a council meeting this week to kind of i'm going to ask for some help is where we're at i'm like i need somebody to help me with this i've got a couple of events going that wrap up here and so to reach out to see if we, what we can get for in-kind donations um for the gravel and the equipment to dig a uh dig a massive 72 by 72 foot hole in the, in the plague it's pit. a big project yes it is a big project <laughs> Um, okay, so any further questions, councillors? Okay, well, I, I think uh, uh, you, you had a lot of information for us and uh, a very Please successful fundraising campaign as yet. So now how about the swimming uh, meet? Okay, so now I'm coming to you, everybody, Lauren Edom again, haha. Uh, I'm coming to you on behalf of the Peace River Winter Swim Club, our Wahoos. Um, we are hosting at a different weekend because we weren't sure if we were going to have it. And so then we kind of had to put it together quickly. Um, our annual swim meet, it is taking place the last weekend of this month. So the 26th and the 27th at the Peace Regional Pool. Um, I'm asking for, as we have in the past, a donation. It's not, a, it's, it's an in-kind donation of the fee, the cost for, of the pool rental for the two days and the the payment of lifeguards um i basically the grant i filled out went off of the grant that was filled out for last year's swim meet um it's uh we did get the numbers from ashley and jamie at the pool which is it's, it hasn't changed it's roughly a 1700 dollar cost to uh to rent it and all of that um the i guess the differences for this year um we've often had lots of it's we are it's a significantly smaller um swim meet as per swim alberta's um guidelines for covid normally we have like four or five clubs we are allowed to have one club so grand prairie is coming to us so there's going to be roughly 80 swimmers typically we've had 150 swimmers in it um so it's shortened the amount of time but of course we still need the pool for all day the um the meet itself is going noon to five on saturday and eight to one on Sunday. We did this purposely to avoid eating times because we are not having any food because at the time restrictions didn't allow it. Even though that restriction is gone, we have opted to not do it and trying to keep numbers, uh, keep congregating people down. We are also not having things like a prize table and all that. So some of the extra fundraising that we would do that would kind of help boost the cost of, of what we make is all kind of gone just because we're trying to avoid having large, like more large groups of people that don't necessarily need to be there. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, it's a annual grant that the Wahoos apply for and graciously the town always gives it to us. So we're hoping that you will do it again this year. <laughs> Um, so seventeen hundred dollars includes the pool costs and the, and the, the life. lifeguards. Okay. Yeah. And um, I see on the form that says if a budget shows a surplus, which is access of revenue over expenses, a statement yeah. of intended use must be included in this section. So. 
Are you saying that I missed that? Is that what? Oh, well, yes. I, I just wondering. Uh, so if you have money left over, um, what happened? Go towards just um, funding the club. Just it will go to pay for more pool time is basically our biggest cost. If there is money left over, it will go to paying for pool time for the club. Okay. Um, that's what it will go for. It's we are we are our club is significantly smaller, um, as many I'm sure non other youth sport activities have seen through COVID. We have definitely got a few less swimmers than we normally have, especially in our upper age categories. But um, yeah, so any money that we have left, just it basically goes right back into the club just to pay for the pool, pay for upkeep of all of the things. This year we bought new flags, just the basic supplies. So. Great. Counselors, any questions on the swim meet grant or grant application? Yeah, if you had to pick the uh, the playground or the swim meet, which <laughs> one? <laughs> don't tell the pool. I'm not, tell I don't, the, no. the, don't tell the Wahoos, but 100%. I won't make you, I won't make you answer that. No, don't. don't, don't <laughs> I will, say no, I'll, I'll say Springfield. I will. We won't, we, we won't cut the baby tonight, Mara. It's okay. Please, thanks. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't do that to me. I've got, I know. I, I laughed when I got Ruth's email and I called her and said, actually, I have another grant that I'm working on because they didn't know they, we almost missed it and i said don't we do this and they said yeah we don't know how to do it well i just filled one out for the school so i'll fill out this one too but um yeah that that why am why is mara busy because she's also on the swim meet committee putting together a swim meet in a month so well thanks for all your volunteer work yeah. and uh good luck with uh, i learned it all of it <laughs> I learned it from Colin. He, I learned it from Colin, who yes. I'm speaking to all right now as he's sipping Mai Tais on the beach. But Oh, don't tell us that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you. And uh, early March, I, I think we'll be getting back to you uh, sometime about that time. Thank so, you so much. Yeah. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Can I sign off as well? Oh, if you wish to. <laughs> thank, well, I've got kids who are hungry. Thank you very much. Uh, have a okay, good then. day. Good night. Okay. Uh, do we have any bylaws to consider We do not tonight? have uh, any bylaws, Your Worship, in Council. Any unfinished business? That is also empty, Your Worship, in Council. Well, we're on to new business then. Section 8, request for decision with a request to rescind a water sales, tank sales, hydrant sales policy. And, and Mr. Director McQuaig will take that one. That's correct. Good evening, Your Worship and Council. So as mentioned, what we are proposing to do is uh, rescinding the water sales, tank sales, hydrant sales policy uh, as part of our policy review that uh, we uh, kind of touched on during our governance and priorities meeting. So we do have some additional information uh, that uh, we can supply for you tonight, uh, in addition to what was presented at the governance and priorities meeting around this. So just as a reminder that the existing policy is mainly administrative in nature, and so doesn't quite meet the standard of what we would normally put forth as a in the term of a policy. Uh, so one of the things that we wanted to bring up was just uh, in regards to overdue accounts uh, currently under our current system, uh, where we send out invoices after the fact. Uh, some of these accounts are considered non-recoverable and uh, some of the ones we try a couple of years to recover uh, some of those funds. So the 
proposed new system would eliminate this uh, kind of loophole through there and uh, make sure that uh, any water is prepaid up front, uh, either by purchasing a preloaded uh, account card or uh, going through the debit and credit option. So the other thing that uh, I've discussed with uh, one of the possible vendors for the equipment is uh, just how uh, that would go together. And uh, the vendor that we're currently looking at, uh, we would start off by putting in place uh, the preloaded uh, option. And that would be like a $10,000 implementation uh, for the equipment and probably another 5,000 to install the equipment. Uh, and then if we want to do the uh, Visa card uh, versus uh, slash credit card and debit card option, it would be an add-on to this system, uh, probably in tune by another 5,000. I'm just waiting for final uh, figures on that. But our proposal would be at least to get the first part uh, done right away uh, to implement uh, preloaded uh, card option where uh, people come in, preload the card, and then if they wanted to add to their card in future, they can do it by an app on their phone. Uh, they don't need to come back into the, the town hall to add additional monies uh, to their card. So they're just coming in for the initial card itself. Uh, so there again, we've got some uh, context around our current overdue accounts right now. So outstanding bulk water accounts are currently about $6,300. And as of 11 February, 2022, uh, if the current accounts listed are not paid, that will increase the amount uh, outstanding by another uh, $957 for a total of $7,200. Out of the amounts outstanding as of February 10th, uh, 4th, uh, about 4,300 are likely uncollectible and probably have to be written off. So this is just, uh, and this is ongoing every year. So this is our kind of uh, solution to try to eliminate uh, this non-collection of, of uh, funds for the bulk water system. So uh, based on you know what we know today, uh, we're saying that uh, the cost to implement the new system would pay for itself within three years which is a good cost recovery kind of uh, point there. And then you know, we'll be back, uh, or we won't be losing money forward of that point. So we just uh, collecting money for the water that we sell. Uh, so there again, attach the uh, proposed uh, uh, directive that we are looking at currently. Uh, with administration and then the existing water sales, tank sales and hydrant sales policy that we're proposing to be rescinded. So what we're looking for from council tonight is just uh, to uh, rescind the existing policy and replace it with a corresponding directive. I'll take any questions. Um, Councillor Boychuk. Um, what kind of input have you been receiving from the, the people that use this system? Are they looking forward to the change or? Uh, a lot of them are because they find it very inconvenient to use the, the coin type system uh, if they're going that route. Uh, and some of the ones that are currently on uncollectible accounts, well, uh, 
I haven't uh, heard any feedback from them as of yet on this. Deputy Mayor Scammerhorn and then Councillor Good. Uh, thank you, Madam. Um, is there a possible, like, if we're going to go to one type of of sale, a uh, point of sale, either coming to the town office of the prepaid cards or the uh, the point of sale at site. Why would we not choose to just go point of sale at site? Then it's 24 hour anyway. It's good for anyone. You're only doing the water you're paying for, and then that saves the 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 hassle of someone having to come to the town office during business hours to specifically do it. If 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 one of those is going to be, you know, if having both is 10,000, why not? And and having one is 5,000. Would not the the point of sale on location for five be be better of the two options if we had to pick one, or yeah, am I deliberate? Am I? I just want to know. Am I deliberating the wrong thing tonight? Because <laughs> no, we can do no, your directive uh, and get it out of the way. Like, yeah, no, it's a fair question. Uh, and basically, it's just we're trying to keep the cost reasonable for uh, during the Im implementation period. We could do it all as one shot, and, and do it that way. But the the point of sale is in addition to uh, the uh, the meter read system that we would be putting in place where uh, you're using it fundamentally uses the prepaid cards but you know we could withdraw the prepaid cards and just do point of sale does that take Excuse me, you, uh, Your Worship, if you don't mind. I'm, I'm very sorry. Uh, Jim, uh, just the, I think also, can we just do the point of sale and not the prepaid cards? And no, would that be the same? The point of sale is in addition to the uh, other system. Okay, it is. Okay, sorry. I just. Yeah. I did, I did look at some other options, but uh, the option that we're looking at is a fairly standardized one that uh, is used by uh, numerous other uh, bulk water uh uh installations for other municipalities around the province so it's well supported and uh, the software is well supported so that, that was one of the things we look for uh as part of uh looking at this councillor good then councillor carr um one question i have two questions jim sort of one may lead to um what Roughly, how much water sales do we do in a year? I mean, I see we have an um, outstanding account of around $6,000, $7,000. How many sales, what sales do we do in a year, ballpark? And if you just bear with me, I'll get that number for you. So uh, last year we sold, uh, just a little about uh, 10,600 uh, cubic meters, which if you times that by 660 is uh, $70,000. Okay. Um, the, the other thing I think that you're going to end up doing is potentially by going to an on-site sales system is some of these sales where people picked up water and didn't pay for it may not have picked it up in the first place if they knew they were going to have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that they went there knowing they weren't going to pay for it, but that's certainly within the realm of possibility. So at least you're not going to be giving away water for nothing to any point. Yeah, and that's very true. You know, I mean, they could go 
into the counties and try one of their bulk water stations, but I think they're going to find the same thing happens there. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. My only concern with eliminating the 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 uh, prepaid card is there are people out there that do not have bank cards or visa cards or anything that they will be able to pay at the machine would they may want to come into the town office and pay cash to get a card and are we going to lose any significant significant amount there or are we going to eliminate a certain percentage by doing that would be my uh, only and concern that's why i kind of looked at using the prepaid cards is to kind of answer yes. by the problem and kind of phase it in if if in three years we find that uh there's not a lot of uptake on the the cards and using the cards we can withdraw it and keep on just using the point of sale option so the price for all of this is around twenty thousand dollars give or take give or take yes yes okay any further questions counselors so um by if we do rescind this does this mean we're automatically agreeing to the um possibility of this new system of selling the water uh well basically what you're telling uh administration at that point your worship is that you're sending the policy and asking administration to uh provide a directive now whether the directive kind of you know, maintains the status quo right now and then evolves into this but we would probably look at moving ahead with the point of sale and access card sooner rather than later but right now the, the policy in itself is, is uh not being followed and kind of out of it's not in line with the practice of how we operate right now yeah so the directive though um tells people how it's being operated which incorporates this point of sales discussion is that what you're telling us okay well and okay. the more important thing with this uh, the proposed directive is the people that are showing up to uh, take water from the bulk water facility tells them uh, explicitly how to do it like they've got to maintain that air gap so that way we're not doing any cross con contamination uh, between uh, their hoses and uh, our system thank you any further questions councillor or deputy mayor scammerhorn um, have we noticed since since the uh, county has installed more um, northern sun northern light specifically, they've installed more bulk access? Bulk yeah. yeah. So now, so have we noticed a decrease? Because I mean, if I'm running a truck out of town, I'm not going to come into town with it if I can avoid that. So, so have we, have we noticed a significant decrease in our own water sales, knowing that we actually do get a percentage out of theirs? So it's not like I'm all tore up about it. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I haven't kind of looked at that and tried to go back over a three-year period and to see how that's affected things. Uh, okay. Most of the water haulers would be probably take uh, water maybe from Grimshaw rather than ourselves. But Thank you, Councillor Scar or Carr. Um, could we possibly put that uh, that break in our equipment, Jim, rather than expecting them to do it just to protect ourselves? The, the air gap? 
Yes. Yes. Uh, it well, it's just, it comes down to how they fill the system. Like you've got to have that air gap uh, between the hose and the tank. So when they're filling your tank, they have to be observant of how to do that. Otherwise, we'd have to have a full-time attendant down there to do that. Oh, you don't put like a vacuum breaker or something in the equipment that will stop a backflow? Uh, well, that would be in there, but just on the hose itself, there ha you know, uh, to follow the current uh, uh, env environment and park guidelines, they have to have that air gap in there. Oh, okay. Okay, thanks. Okay, would someone care to uh, move forward with a motion? Uh, Councillor Good. I'll move the recommendation. Uh, option one. Do you want me to read it out? Okay, that council rescinds the existing water sales tank hydrant sales policy P41-2004-01 and replaces it with a corresponding directive. Thank you. Any further uh, comments, questions, discussion? All those in favor of Councillor Good's motion? Uh, anybody opposed? It is carried. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. McQuaig. Okay, the next item we have is um, with respect to FCM conferences and membership attendance at FCM with uh, CAO Parker. Thank you uh, very much, Your Worship Council. Um, uh, for uh, the new councillors and, and people who are listening in, uh, FCM or Federation of Canadian Municipalities is an organization that is uh, uh, one end of, uh, uh, well, it goes coast to coast to coast. Uh, it's a uh, funding organization that lobbies quite a bit uh, on behalf of municipalities. Uh, the question is, is how much do we actually uh, get from this membership? And uh, uh, some people have questioned whether FCM is a relevant uh, organization to um, a municipality such as our size. So with that, um, every year we send, you know, up to, and I think the max I think we sent was three councillors. Uh, to FCM. Um, they usually have a conference. Uh, one year will be uh, Eastern Canada and then uh, the next year it be Western Canada. So uh, they've, they've done uh, the conferences all over the, the place. Um, and at the conferences, they, 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 uh, it's usually about three days long. Uh, they uh, do a lot of presentations, uh, a lot of learning and networking, uh, you have an opportunity to meet uh, quite a few uh, ministers. But the question is, is it really, there is a value for our municipality and should we continue the memberships? Uh, across Alberta, there's been quite a few um, uh, towns that have uh, backed away from membership this year. So uh, the question before you is, is, should we become a member? And the membership is really reasonable itself, which is uh, $2,000. Uh, but it's if we uh, continue to remember the second basic question is, is, should we send anybody to the conference? Now, the conference this year is in Regina. So uh, it, it, the costs are a little bit lower. It'll probably just be uh, mileage, uh, most likely. And uh, then accommodations for the hotel, very little for food, because most of the food is uh, taken care of. Uh, by the conference itself, but there, there's a couple of evenings where there isn't um, a food paid for. So uh, recommendation is actually send one council this year 
and um, preferably a, a newer counselor, so that they can look at this this um, uh, program and see if uh, they come back to uh, a council and uh, give a little presentation and see if they feel that it was worthwhile or not. Um, that's basically what is before you, um, and I can answer any questions uh, from council. Um, does um, FCM also provide some grants to various, uh, I don't know, uh, federal or other FCM types of initiatives, climate change ones, uh, infrastructure, stuff like that? Actually, what they do, they, they do. They have a, a one program, they, they, they do provide certain grants, but also they have something called the Municipal Partnership Program. And the Municipal Partnership Program, uh, I think someone has their uh, um, speaker on, I'm not sure if they can just, uh, Ms. McQuaig, you're, you're not muted, I don't think. Um, so uh, the Municipal Partnership Program, uh, that program, uh, what it does is uh, they will um, take municipalities and you you have to volunteer and the way that it works it works like this they'll pay for airfare and they'll pay for uh, accommodations but the municipality has to pay for all their time to work with other uh, countries to help them develop democracy and 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 their programs and i'll give you an example i was actually involved in one and that was a municipal partnership with cambodia and what we did uh, is they, um, and if anyone knows anything about Cambodia, uh, what happened was is during the 70s, during Pol Pot year, basically he wiped out one third of the population. And the one third was teachers, anyone who was educated, anything like that. So they had a massive amount of people who were uh, basically going through, uh, you know, they repopulating, but they weren't very educated. And uh, so we went over and we did a program in, in the city of Badenbang and that was on garbage and just how to take care of garbage. And uh, this was a three year long program. Uh, we would go up a couple of times. Uh, we did massive training to train the trainers and then we'd go back and evaluate it. So that is one of the programs under FCM. And it was funded uh, majority. Um, I, I, I had to volunteer my time and um, it, it, was, uh, it was a really, to me, I, I was passionate about the program. I really enjoyed it. And yes, there's other programs like that um, around the world. And then there's also climate change programs specifically in, in Canada that they, they have developed. But again, if, you know, it's, these are things that uh, uh, people should take a look at. I think they have a big um, section on asset management as well. It seems to me that weren't we part of uh, a grant with Northern Sunrise to do something or was that another level of government? I, I, I... Uh, we were, your worship, and that uh, grant was uh, denied. So we didn't get uh, to both ourselves and Northern Sunrise. We weren't successful on that one. Okay. Um, quite often I've noticed that the successful grants seem to be in um, not rural and remote, which is where we are in FCM's uh, mindset. I do think it is a worthwhile conference in terms of uh, some of the materials that you are exposed to. Also, some of the, um, the speakers are uh, quite significant. Uh, there's the political element as well, and sometimes you get occasion to talk to a minister or not. Uh, that would be a rare occurrence, but 
it is possible. I guess my other question is, uh, as part of this discussion, this year's it's in uh, Regina, January, or not January, June 2nd through 5th or thereabouts. Are any counselors of a mindset that they might be interested in attending, especially the new counselors? A couple of them are. Okay, so two of the new new counselors. How about any of the old old counselors? It's not One. good timing for me. I've 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 you know I've gone before. I did go to Halifax. It is good uh, as well as you mentioned mentioned you know meeting up with some of the ministers and getting into some of those sessions and and then you know the networking ideas and this and that. So I did find it to be worth um my trip to go but yeah what's you know kind of pointed out about their their the strength of their advocacy is not quite as significant given that it's at the federal level not the provincial level so the kind of the there's not as much crossover between what we do and and you know and you know in other levels of government other than us in the province so you know like certainly if you had to choose a conference am would most likely be a better one but uh but i i would be supportive of uh having a membership and sending a counselor or maybe a pair it's a nice couple, to go, so a pair. Can go yeah yeah uh, counselor ford yeah over the last seven years i've actually never attended an fcm and uh i would not probably be interested in this particular one but i've always been uh um i had to talk with chris about this earlier i've always been uh advocate like when it comes to fcm it's a little bit more expensive um like you probably don't want to send four or five people to halifax or quebec city um just because of the cost that's involved i think that one or two counselors can bring back that information but i'm looking at their their breakdown of their workshops and everything and there's a lot to do with uh waste management and water and wastewater so with that being said if we if if council chooses to send one counselor is there going to be a staff from administration that would be able to attend a conference like this as well we, we do have a budget of usually one staff and uh, up to three counselors is it my my thinking process would be uh like this would be uh quite beneficial to uh, mr McQuaig and then a member of council who's on the on the water wastewater or the uh, waste management uh, committee just my thoughts so um maybe we could go forth with the idea that uh, council enable uh what i'm hearing sort of is two counselors and um I don't know how to deal with the suggested admin part of things. Do I just leave that? Yeah, yeah that's that. You can figure out if it's in the budget to go. Yeah. And, so, and, and right now, uh, Your Worship, we do have in the budget set for three, up to three counselors. So um, I'll, I'll move option three. Let's, let's get this narrowed down here. Option three is the Town of Peace River retains membership and budgets for annual conference attendance keep it open then that does both of it right any further uh questions or comments to the motion all those in favor of deputy mayor's motion it is so oops anybody opposed nope good it is carried 
Thank you. And I would suggest that admin will probably be uh, looking towards the counselors that expressed interest to uh, deal with registration in a timely fashion. Yeah, what we'd like to do is we'd like to uh, just get that going. So uh, um, we'll, we'll uh, deal with that. Thank you. Great. The next item is the request for decision enabling attendance at the Alberta Community Crime Prevention Association 2022 conference. And Mr. Parker, you're leading us through this. I am, Your Worship. Um, so uh, basically, uh, there is the uh, ACCPA uh, conference uh, currently right now. Um, uh, we do have one counselor. Uh, Councillor Ford, who is on the board, uh, and we have uh, approved um, generally for him to go to uh, or be part of this board, knowing that he would have to attend these meetings. Um, we do have another councillor, Councillor Boychuk, who is uh, attending uh, this conference um, as a uh, presenter. And uh, basically before you is um, to, uh, RFD to enable both Councillor Ford and Councillor Boychuk to uh, attend this conference. Okay. Um, any questions to the mo or to the briefing notice or information? Okay. Um, so would someone care to put forth a motion, Councillor Good? Yeah, I'd be pleased to put a motion forward that Councillors Ford and Borchek be enabled to attend the 2022 ACCPA conference on May 9th to 11th and financial support be provided through the provision of any travel costs, accommodation or registration fees not reimbursed by the ACCPA. I think okay. we're very lucky to have two people going there. Thank you. Any uh, comments to the motion discussion? Okay, all those in favor of the motion? Any opposed? It is carried. Thank you. Have a good conference. <laughs> okay, so the next one is request for decision on the Community Services Board appointments and Director Bell might be telling us about this. Yes, Your Worship, thank you. Uh, we have a number of vacant positions on the Community Services Board. We've actually had three members who uh, their term is up. Um, and we have uh, two applications that the board reviewed at their last regular meeting. Uh, the board makes a recommendation to council to appoint the two members for uh, members at large for a three-year term. A Mr. Shazad Bandukda, and I apologize, I don't think I pronounced that correctly. We will ask him for proper pronunciation uh, when he attends the board meetings, if council is in agreement with these appointments. And the second member is Mr. Paris Shukla, also a member at large for a three-year term. So they're presented for council's appointment this evening, if council's in agreement. So councillors, any questions of the director? Would someone care to put forth a motion? On this matter, Deputy Mayor Scar, or Scar? <laughs> I don't know. I got Scar in mind. <laughs> oh, it's because I'm second in command, and I want to use. You have to watch the Lion King. Forget it. Um, I'll I'll move that we uh, 
appoint both applicants to the Community Services Board. Okay, and maybe the motion will mention their two names and it's for three-year terms. Okay, any further discussion on that motion? All those in favor of the motion? Anybody opposed? It is carried. Thank you, Director Bell. Okay, and now we're on to reports and we have a community services board meeting minutes from November and December of 2021 and January 2022. Um, Director Bell, uh, Councillor Ford, anything to say on these? Uh, there was the, a couple of- Go ahead. Yep. There was a couple of meetings that I could not attend due to, uh, I was at a different meeting, so I would turn uh, to my counterpart, Councillor Shannon, and she did attend one or two of these meetings on my behalf. I just attended the last. Um... Use this mic, not that one. Sorry about that. I'm out of practice here. Um, I did attend the um, last meeting in um, Orin's place. Uh, anything, Director Bell, that you want to bring to our attention from those? Probably the one uh, item is the volunteer awards. We normally do a uh, award ceremony and presentation with council in December, but we received uh, no applications this year. So, which was interesting. And then also kind of understanding at the same token, as we know, a lot of our community groups and agencies have been uh, really downsized over the last couple of years. So. Um, what we've done is we'll be pushing the uh, almost a relaunch of that volunteer award program for National Volunteer Week in April, and we'll make it one of the highlights uh, within the town booth at the tra Chamber of Commerce um, trade show, which we anticipate proceeding. So that'll be one element that we'll use to promote that program in April. Great. Not to sidetrack the conversation, but uh, what are the dates or possible dates for the trade show? The a April, April, the second week in April, second weekend, I want to say the 8th and 9th. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. 8th and 9th. Great. Uh, the next uh, one is the 2022 January 26th RCMP Community Advisory Committee Minutes. and. Council Ford for this one? Actually, uh, Councilor Boychuk, I believe, was at, at this one. I think Councilor Ford was too, maybe. Yeah. Yep. I was the uh, member of council at that meeting. Anything of, uh, to highlight in the minutes? Uh, yeah, one item that I would like to highlight is uh, if you look at the action items at the pretty much at the very last page, uh, item number three, Peace River SEPTED Project 2022. So this derives from the information that we brought back from ACCPA a number of years ago. Um, we've also already completed uh, bringing a practitioner here and uh, doing some educational pieces and SEPTED training. I think we trained about, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, it was about 65 to 70 people throughout uh, 
the town of Peace River staff, uh, public at large, both Grimshaw, Peace River, Northern Sunrise County and County of Northern Lights. Uh, we just recently completed three phases of a, of a SEPTED project with the village of Nampa uh, in, in beautifying some spaces and making some spaces less attractive to crime. And the next project is, uh, I'm glad to say, it's this is in hand with our board as well as our local RCMP detachment. And we'll be looking at downtown Peace River as the, the next SEPTED project. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Boychuk, you attended the meeting. Anything you'd like to highlight? Uh, yeah, and I'd just like to pass along. I, I've been attending these meetings as a community member for the last three years, and that's why Oren and myself are are overlapping. But uh, I went forward and, and gave presentation on the mental health grant and got support from that group as well. So it... Well, I was making my way around the various uh, committee meetings, and I noticed that um, Councillor Gurnett, uh, who is, I believe, the... Um, occupies the position that is shared between the town and County of Northern Sunrise. And he indicated that he had been speaking to various schools about the internet and also um, reaching out to get a grade 11 student to be on the committee. So that was nice to hear. Restorative justice was also part of that committee. And uh, uh, China Seeger indicated that they are, um, um, in the beginning stages of becoming rather active, shall we say. So it was nice to hear. Uh, Councilor Ford? And just to further up on that, the latest news that I heard from our constables, we do have a grade 11 student from Glemory that is interested in participating. Great. Okay, any further comments on those reports? Would someone like to move the acceptance of uh, the reports uh, section 9, 1, and 2 for information. Councillor Shannon, okay. Um, all those in favor? Anybody hope? opposed? No? Great, it's carried. The next item is we have a letter um, for information from the National Police Federation with respect to consultations on the provincial police force. Reading over the letter, it seems to be that the group just indicates to us that if we have a chance to attend one of their community engagement sessions, um, they advise that we do attend to glean more information. And I don't know if those are the ones that we have in Peace River on March 3rd or if that's another police group. Maybe that's another police group. That's the other point of view. The other point of view. Okay, well, we're getting it from all sides, so that's good, I guess. Um, would someone like to um, move the acceptance for information of information item one? Uh, Councillor Good, all those in favor of that motion? Opposed? Okay, I think it's carried. <laughs> well, it is carried. <clears throat> okay, uh, notices a motion. Uh, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Comments from the public, Ms. McQuaig? No. Nope. Uh, key communication items, uh, Ms. Bouchard, Megan? All right, um, thank you, Your Worship. So some key communication items to me are all five of the uh, uh, presentations this evening as well as the replacement of the water sales, tank sales, hydrant sales policy. Um, the FCM annual conference uh, membership being retained, 
as well as the ACCPA um, attendance and the Community Services Board appointments. Thank you. Counselors, have anything to uh, draw our attention to from the list or beyond the list that Megan presented? Okay, well, thank you very much. And um, we're now at um, the key or uh, the closed session, but I suggest that we're going to take a 10 minute break and be back here at 7.05, and then we'll deal with going into closed session. Okay, um, I think we're ready to go into closed session. So would someone care to move us that way? Uh, I'll Can't just see my hand. sit back. Okay. Uh, a counselor, good. All those in favor of moving into closed session? Opposed? No, Councillor Scammerhorn is not in the room right now. Okay. So that means we're going into breakout sessions, I believe. Breakout room. And Councillor Ford. I'm just curious, um, Deputy Nair, being that he's not in the room, is he in a, in a conflict or are we just waiting for him? Great. Okay, so we're we're back in our meeting. Uh, would someone care to move adjournment? Uh, Mr. Good moves adjournment. All those in favor? Anybody opposed? Okay, we are adjourned at nine twenty-five. Thank you, everybody. I made the motion to come out of camera. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got that.